Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. He'll get you the sports any way that he can. It's Mike Francis on. All right, we hit the fan on this Friday evening as we say goodbye to February. Brought to you by Casamigos Tequila, as always. Brought to you by those who drink it. And here's a recommendation. Just like George and Randy and Mike, you know, my favorite is Reposado on the Rock. So no salt, no fruit. So just classic stuff. So check it out. Uh, And obviously, we thank Casamigos Tequila for uh, their patronage. As always, uh, we have got through the month of February, which I always... Always have looked at as a milestone thing, doing this all these years. Uh, and February has changed a little bit, obviously. You know, the Super Bowl sneaks into February now. The spring training starts earlier now. February is not as barren as it used to be. But whenever you can turn the page, you know, whenever, and it used to be, you know, just to show you how different it is now, the regulars in baseball used to hit spring training on March 1st. The pitches and catches would be there before, but the regulars would get there March 1st. When Mickey Mantle showed up in 1969 at spring training and retired, and I remember the headline the next day uh, in the paper, you know, they had a picture of Mantle sitting there in his turtleneck and uh, his uh, sport jacket. And I knew it was coming. So, you know, it was a devastating blow, but I knew it was coming because we all thought at the end of 68 that it was over. He he didn't announce his retirement, though. He did not. He was going to think it over over the winter, you know. And he hinted that last week there was a lot of stories about did he, you know, was he coming back, was he not coming back. Remember there had been late in the season that year, he had hit his 500th home run, obviously, the year before. And then in the 68, he had some milestone home runs. You know, he had a pass Ted Williams. Then he had a pass Jimmy Fox. He had the whole thing with Denny McLean, where Denny, who idolized Mickey, you know, gave him a fastball. And Mickey hit it for a home run, and they made a big deal about Denny doing that. The game was a lopsided game. Denny was on his way to, you know, his magical season. Uh, and the whole thing, but that was 
late in the season. Then he had a home run off Jim Lumborg, and you know there was all the stories about Woody, won't he, will he not? Is it over? Is it not over? We all thought it was over. But he arrives at spring training that year, and there had been hints that it was probably going to be over. But you know, you hold out hope that he changes his mind, and he got to spring training that year. And I remember it, the papers. It was March first. The, the, he got there the last day of February, and then March first was the day of the paper. And right on the paper, March one, nineteen sixty nine, it said, "I just can't hit anymore." That was what he said in spring training. Uh, I got to retire. I just can't hit anymore. Uh, not to my liking, you know. I, I, I'm not a two thirty hitter. I can't. And that's what he had hit the year before two thirty six. I just can't hit anymore. He still had eighteen home runs and had fifty something RBIs, and you know, uh, playing basically, you know, as a three hundred fifty at bat guy or four hundred at bat guy. But he always had power. But um, so little did we know what would the baseball season would bring. You know, it brought new faces. Bobby back from the military, Bobby Mercer, Jerry Kenny, Thurman Munson, but uh, also brought the Mets that year. No one having any idea that it would be this, as Mantle steps off the stage, the Mets step on the stage with this insane season. So, uh, you know, Mickey was out of the way. The Yankees didn't have what they used to have. They, you know, at least those last years, you still had Mantle, you know, and that was a big deal because I remember um, – Ralph Houck. And, you know, it's funny. I always wanted to interview Ralph Houck. And there's another guy. People ask me about guys we didn't interview. Ralph Houck, in retirement, would never do an interview with us. He just didn't want to do it. And we asked him a bunch of times to do an interview with us. And he just was not uh, nothing personal. just don't want to do it. And always wanted to talk to him because man loved Houck. And as his manager, loved him. And if you know Houck's story and the whole thing, well, Houck used to talk about how He'd get calls on the road in 67 and 68. And late in his career, when he, the years he managed Mantle, especially when he came back, you know, at the end and he was, you know, late in, you know, in 68, because, you know, they went through some years where Hauk, stepped, Hauk won a couple of championships and stepped upstairs as a general manager, then came back down and managed again. And how, they would, you know, be on a road and people would call up and say, I hate to bother you, but is Mickey Mantle going to play? Because I'm going to drive 500 miles to bring my son if he's going to play. And they said they get these calls the whole season, wherever they were. You know, just if someone wanted this, hey, listen, I live, you know, 600 miles from the ballpark, but I'm coming if he's playing. And he wasn't playing every single day anymore, obviously. And you never knew when he was going to be under the weather or just pinch hit or whatever. You know, he didn't have a DH in those days. Uh, So, I mean, it was kind of different. But that's the kind of drawer he was, the kind of magnetism he still had. He was still mantle. I mean, he's still bigger than life. I mean, I used to go to the ballpark. And I wouldn't leave until he had it lasted bat. Okay? Uh, and I went to the ballpark with a group once, and we were at a Cleveland Indians doubleheader. And he stayed the second game in the doubleheader, and I put up a fuss that I didn't want to, didn't want to leave until he had his lasted bat. And the game was a blowout, and Sam McDowell was pitching. And we waited around for him to at bat again. 
And Sam McDowell struck him out on three pitches. <laughs> I heard grief all the way home. But you made us wait for three hours to watch that, you know, an extra hour to watch that. And I'm like, hey, you know, if I was going to get a chance to see him in person, I mean, I was waiting. I wasn't leaving if he was still in the game. And let me tell you, in those days, his last at bat, if they were losing, the whole stadium would clear out. Because he was what they came to see. They were, the Yankees were not the Yankees anymore. They had deteriorated from 64 to 65, going to sixth place, to did a fifth place, to 66, going to last place, to 67, you know, they're still not any good in the year of the Red Sox, and then 68, they're still a mediocre team, and this is his last year. So he retires on that day, but think about it. That day was shows you how different it is. Now these guys are in camp in early February. You already had games start this year in spring training, you had games every day since February 22. And the season, look when it starts this year. So, I mean, it's a month away to the season. Everything's starting earlier. It's almost like the powers that be in sports have tried to do anything they can to condense or somehow put some life into February because, you know, February is a month where there's just not a whole lot going on. And now you turn that page. You're a week away from the conference tournaments in basketball. You are two weeks away from Selection Sunday. You're 17 days away from the start of the NCAA tournament. Opening day is going to happen. You're going to have a, the opening day in New York and East Regional Final at, at the Garden on that last week of March here in New York. So that's a big week. And then you have the Final Four. You have... Baseball underway, you have the Masters, and you have playoffs in basketball and hockey and the Kentucky Derby. So we are through the abyss, and now obviously things are picking up in a, a very big way. And as I mentioned, how about the Rangers, man? I'll tell you something. I haven't watched them much. I admit it. I haven't watched them, but I paid attention. You know, I haven't even seen them play this year. I saw the Islanders play uh, right before Christmas. And I told you, I went up and visited Lou, and Lou told me, I said, Lou, can this team give you a big run? And he says, I have to get one player who can really help me up front. And he waited to the day before the deadline and got him. Now let's see if that player can help him. While the Rangers, everyone figured at least a year away, now on fire. And you have a reason to be all excited as you go down the stretch here. So things have obviously... Uh, happened ahead of schedule for the Rangers in a, a very big way. So uh, maybe in this year, which has been such a tough year for the winter sports, such a tough year, you know, except for the Islanders who had a obviously very big early season run, but so bad in football and, you know, nothing to talk about in basketball, waiting for Durant next year, the Knicks being abominable. And now here, maybe, Maybe the Rangers are going to give you a little thrill that you wouldn't expect. You didn't expect before baseball starts. Back after this, you know, I keep seeing how uh, everyone's creating these scenarios where the Giants uh, get young in the draft. It's not going to happen. Okay, I mean, and I see they do the same thing in Detroit. First of all, I know this will be a thought that a lot of people don't have. I'm not as sold on them. Being this all-world, I think he's really, he's, listen, he deserves to be picked second. I have no problem with that. Do I think he is 
absolutely going to be the end all and be all? I don't. I'm not convinced. Number one. Number two. They're taking them. Number two. Rivera already said it. They're not taking Tua. They just drafted a quarterback. Plus, don't be surprised if he plays a veteran quarterback, knowing who, how Rivera is. They're not going to draft Tua at number two. They're not going to do it because I, this is not what, they, what, not what Rivera wants. And they just, they just turned around and drafted the quarterback. So I, I don't think that happens. And the Lions would take him if Tua went second. And the Lions aren't going to take Tua. So if you think the Giants are getting him at four, it's not happening. Because the Lions can't take uh, the Lions can't take two. They could trade the pick. So I don't see any way that Washington. So here's here's what the Giants fan thinks: Washington doesn't take him. They take Tua, and Detroit doesn't take him. What are you serious? Then Detroit's taking him. So that's not happening anyway, but Detroit's not going to get him. Washington's taking him. And then Washington will, I think, trade because they, they, they're committed to Stafford because they can't trade him. The salary cap hit is immense, and they need to win this year. Otherwise, Patricia's going to get fired. So they trade out of the three spot, get a player they want, and trade, trade for Tua. Trade to a, to whoever moves up to that slot. Then the Giants go on their merry way and take the player they want. Whether they wind up taking a corner who could go in that pick. Listen, there are wide receivers worthy of being taken at number four. But if you're the Giants, your needs are so precise at other positions. You gotta, if you want a wide receiver, you have to wait and take one down in the draft and get one that's good. I understand you'd like to have Judy, but you cannot take him. Your needs are so acute. You need help on the line. You could take a building block there, or you got to get yourself an edge pass rusher. You've got to get yourself a, a guy who can rush the quarterback. You could have done that last year and gotten the quarterback and, and gotten Josh Allen. You could have done both. Absolutely could have. Messed that up too. But be that as it may, they cannot, they cannot screw around there. And listen, two is going off the board early, but I doubt he's going second. I do, I, I'll be stunned if he goes second. I think, he might, I think he's going to go third to somebody who will trade up into that slot. And the Lions, listen, I understand if they'd like to, but, you know, Patricia's gone if that happens. Cole joins us. What's up, Cole? Hey, Mike, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, what's happening? Uh, Mike, I'm of the younger audience here. I'm only 21 years old, so I need you to educate me on something. I was watching the Fury versus Wilder fight last weekend, and I was wondering, what happened to boxing to where it dropped so far in popularity from where it used to be versus what it is today? Uh, the reason why is two reasons. Number one, every decent fight went to pay for view. So there was no way for it to work without you going out and shelling out 44 to $80 for the fight because the fighters were only going to do it in a place where they could get paid a ton of money. So there are no more free TV good fights, number one. And then number two, there just aren't enough good fighters. There aren't enough compelling fights. So the, the game has been completely destroyed in terms of how it's promoted and how it's, and, and how it's sold and packaged. 
And there's not enough people out there who are going to pay. The diehard's going to do it, but not enough. How many people actually paid for that fight? One million? Was that what we saw? One million people, I believe, bought the fight? One million, how many? Uh, I didn't see it. Yeah, a million, nine hundred thousand? No, no, under. Under 900,000. So 900,000, thanks for the call, call. 900,000 bought the fight. So if that fight's on free TV, everybody watches it. If that fight's on HBO, a ton of people watch it. That fight's in a place where 900,000 people saw it. That's why. Because otherwise they can't get paid. And they want to get paid a lot. That's the model. So that's what happened. Plus, there's not enough compelling fights. And these guys have a sellable fight now. They have a sellable third fight. People will watch it. But it's going to be on pay-per-view. Tommy in Long Island. What's up, Tommy? Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Good. What's happening? Uh, you just evoked, you know, the, the question of me that I, uh, you know, who says baseball is not romantic when you were talking about Mantle retiring? I, I first began at the, my uh, love of the Yankees in about 1964, so Mantle obviously was on his way down. Uh, but the, the image I remember, you, you mentioned that the, the newspaper photo, for some reason, I have this clear memory of, for some reason, Mantle and Ralph Houck sitting at, in a at the table. Car. At the table, yes. Yeah, at, at the exactly. having the press conference, absolutely, yes. Exactly, and and back in the day with the Daily News when it was the sports paper, there was also a photo of Mantle and Bobby Mercer, and I cut it out and I put it in an envelope. I mailed it to Yankee Stadium, asking for them to autograph it. And did they? Wouldn't you know? Six months later, in the mail came the autographed picture. And they both signed it? They both signed it. And Mantle has the, mo- and Mantle has the most unique signature because of that M, the way he does his M. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I, I, I still that was nice that. that they signed it. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Wow. That's pretty good that they, they both sent it back. I don't remember the Mercer, but you're, the, the photo or the picture you have of Hauk and Mantle together, absolutely true, sitting at the table in front of the bank of microphones, and that's when Mickey said, you know what, Uh, it's over, I I just can't hit anymore. Uh, You know what, I can't. And, you know, when I interviewed Mantle, and someone asked me, it's something I did uh, recently, someone asked me a question, they said, what interview were you most nervous for in your life? And I said, without question, the first time, and thanks for the call, first time I interviewed Mickey Mantle. Uh, Dog and I went over to Mickey Mantle's restaurant, and we were going to interview Mickey Mantle. They, we were going to do the show from there. That was part of the deal, and Mickey was going to come on. He was doing a book tour. And the first time I interviewed him, I interviewed him four times. The first time I interviewed him, I was so nervous about interviewing him because this for for me this was it i mean i didn't have any other idols i had none ever in sports there was no one that i cared about except mantle that was it it was that was it he was it from when i was a little kid he was it i i loved mickey mantle and i knew so much about him because i mean this is mickey i mean i had read everything i had watched everything i mean i forget it i mean so this was such a and he said to me you know I asked him a question about his career, and I said, you know, the storied career with so many things, so many miles, and he said, I said, is there anything that you regret? And he said, I regret 
really regret, and it bothers the hell out of me that I hit 298 for my life. I'm a 300 hitter. I was a 300 hitter my whole life, and I hung around for the money for four years, which he did. Remember, in 64, which the last caller alluded to, Mickey should have been the MVP, I thought. He was 35, 111, 303. He played a lot that year. Yankees beat the White Sox and the Orioles for the pennant. They won seven games in the World Series. Mickey had three homers in the World Series, had eight RBIs in the World Series, including a game seven, three on homer against Gibson to get the Yankees close. Um, the game winner against Barney Schultz in game three, a homer off Kurt Simmons in game six. Um, the, that was the last year. After that, he started going down. You know, hit 280, then he hit 250, then he hit 236, and he wound up hitting 298 for his career. And he said, it bothered the heck out of me that I'm not a lifetime 300 hitter because I was a 300 hitter in his prime. Remember, Mickey hit 350. Mickey won a triple crown hitting 350. The next year, he hit 365. Mickey was a great hitter until his legs went. And he said that really bothered him because... He said, in my mind, I was a 300 hitter, and he was. But, you know, when you hang around, you dilute your stats. And Mickey was not in great shape financially. The Yankees needed him, so they paid him $100,000 at the time, an exorbitant amount of money, to hang around those four years as a drawing card. Now, he wouldn't have hit 500 home runs if he had left after 64. That's the only thing he wouldn't have done. Otherwise... If you take those four years out of his career, his, his career is so brilliant. I mean, because he would have been to the World Series, basically, in 14 years, he would have been to the World Series 12 times. The last four years, he stayed around to play 18 years. He never went back to the World Series. So in his first 12 years in the majors, Mickey went to the World or First 14 years in the majors, Mickey went to the World Series 12 times. 12 times in 14 years. Think about that. Through 64, Mickey had never played on a losing team, I don't think. I don't think the 59, the 59 team, I believe, had a winning record. I'd have to go look it up. I think it did. That was the only team that might have. They didn't win it that year. The White Sox did. I'd have to look to what their record was that year. I think, they had the, I think they had a winning record, though. I'd have to look to make sure. Because before my time, but I'm pretty sure they had a winning record. But that was the only year he could have even possibly played on a losing team. I don't even... What were they? In, in 59? 79 and 75. Okay, so it was close. Okay, that, and through 64, that was it. The only team. And 12 pennants in 14 years. Unbelievable when you think about it. All right, we will see you. Have a good weekend on this leap year weekend. Uh, we will see you in the month of March. Casamigos Tequila, as always, uh, brings you the program, brought to you by those who drink it. Uh, have a very nice weekend. We'll see you Monday. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 